Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We know you're busy. Bills to pay, mouths to feed, and the man needs another favor. So just in case you missed what happened on the fan today, we got your back. And even if you did hear it live, you probably need to hear it again. Here you go, all in one place and in just one hour. The best of the best from today on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. This is Instant Replay. This morning... On the wake up call with KB and Andy. Going out to the Payless Liquors Hotline, Commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, joining us here on this Thursday. Commissioner, thank you so much for carving out a, a couple minutes. There's real excitement here, not only with this team, but the All Star Weekend coming up. And uh, we know all the events are going on right now. What does the state, what does the city mean to the NBA? And I guess your excitement for the big weekend here in Indianapolis. Yeah, well, well let me begin by, by apologizing for missing my window on Tuesday morning. We had some snow in new york and my trip got delayed a little bit but i'm i'm here now and i'm thrilled you know as i've said before to me first of all indianapolis and i'd say for the whole state but but like this is the city and state that work you know i travel all over the place you got you know a a governor and a mayor and, and a state legislature that work well with each other that they came together for this event uh you know we got delayed by a few years because of covid but everybody hung in there and, and use the opportunity to make some upgrades um, to the, the Gainbridge Fieldhouse and to the area around there. You know, obviously, we're taking advantage of Lucas Oil while we're here. It's a city where everything's proximate, so people can walk to events. We got nice weather for being in town, and the whole NBA community is coming together. You know, the issue in our sport, of course, is we don't have a neutral site uh, world, you know, a neutral site Super Bowl or a neutral site big event other than All Star. So people mark their calendars, and and honestly, people from all over the world, not just from the uh, U.S., come to Indianapolis because they want to be with their partners, they want to be with the team personnel, they want to be with you know business associates of the league. So it's just an, a, a multi-day celebration. And as I said, I'm thrilled to be here. He is the commissioner of the NBA. He is Adam Silver with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Commissioner, I know you've been at a couple of Pacers games already this season. Certainly you've been to Indy before. What do you think separates this all-star game from others that your league has held? Well, you know, I'll, be, I'll begin by saying we started this season with what we were calling our, our back-to-basketball theme uh, led by Joe Dumars who is our head of basketball operations, who recently came to the league office, but of course, you know, multiple championships in, you know, Detroit, both as a player and then as a general manager. And, and I think rightfully so, he wanted to make sure that basketball was front and center in everything we do. Now, that sounds like such an obvious proposition, but if you look at some prior All-Stars, people could fairly say maybe we, we skewed a little bit more towards the entertainment than the basketball. And I think the notion in coming back to 
Indiana, of all places, the heartland of basketball, was let's return to the traditional format. Let's go back to East versus West. Let's have a 48-minute game, and let's get together with the players and, on one hand, acknowledge that we're not expecting finals-like intensity, but let's put on a good show for the fans. It's not just for the, the, the ticket buyers here in Indianapolis, but there's a huge global audience. People, well over 200 countries, will be watching this game. And, and, and let's demonstrate for fans globally what your unique and special talents are, which include playing a little bit of defense. <laughs> I think it's gonna, I, I think it's great. Uh, I love some of the traditional stuff that's been brought back, and I think it's just going to be a great weekend. Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, with us here on The Fan on this Thursday. I guess I, I'll ask you this, just because Tyrese Halliburton has been asked about it and he's talking about it that 65 game threshold that's in the new CBA supermax deals postseason awards uh, it affects all of that what have you made about some of the grumbling from some players maybe even specifically Halliburton on that subject let me begin by saying it, it was not unanticipated because when we sat down with the players association to come up with this new rule the operating premise, and there was not a lot of disagreement across the table, was that we need our star players on the floor. Um, part of it is not only we don't want to disappoint our fans, but there was a recognition that if, when we looked at the data over the last, frankly, two or three decades, despite immense improvements in medical care, improvement in facilities, Addition, additional assistant coaches and trainers and, and every possible category that, that relates to player care, those numbers were just continuing to go down every season. Part of it was the so-called load management uh, and, and tactical resting. But I think back to this theme of Joe Dumars, not just back to basketball, but I, I, I see him sort of with his hand gently pounding the table saying we are an 82 game league we are an 82 game league and we and the players and teams are all in this together and so he said on one hand a certain amount of resting we recognize is appropriate and of course there are going to be injuries during the season so i can't claim it was scientific but we we all compromised essentially on the 65 game limit which is 80 percent of the season and we said for players to be eligible for certain awards, and with those awards, awards come certain financial uh, bonuses. That 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 is a fair line. Now, I, of course, in, in adopting a rule like that, there were going to be some players that were going to fall below the line. And I, you know, I'd only say, you know, I've talked directly to Tyrese. I I, I think he's, you know. In, in our direct conversations, he, he's been very he's been a gentleman about it. I get his disappointment, um, and I understand it. First of all, he hasn't missed the 65 threshold yet. You know, he, he he would still need to miss a few more games not to make that line. And what I've said to him, and what I've said to Andre Iguodala, the former player who's now um, the head of the Players Association, let's wait till the end of the season and and, and reassess where we are. As I said, 65 games. Um, there was no magic behind that number, but but when you think of it in a, as a collective matter, and that's what my job is, and that's ultimately what Andre Iguodala's job is, to think what's in the best interest of the fans, the 30 teams, and the 450 players, it's working so far in that if you look at the number of games that all-star players are playing up till this essentially midpoint of the season, it's up significantly. The guys are responding to the incentives. And, and, and of course, the reason for finding that, that, that 
80% line was we didn't want to go too high and have guys saying, well, now I'm forced to play through injuries, and we didn't want to go too low where it didn't matter. And so if at least you know halfway through first season with this new rule, on a collective basis, it seems to be working. But, of course, I'm sympathetic to, to Tyrese. And as I said, at the end of the season, let's look at how it all turned out and sit down with the Players Association and see if we need to make any adjustments. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The NBA world calling Indianapolis home. Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, is here in Indy through the remainder, obviously, of All-Star Weekend. About to get busy, busy in the Circle City. Commissioner, I would say the other thing locally Pacers fan-centric that's been a very popular topic dating back probably over a year now is how we consume Pacers games from a TV streaming standpoint. The regional sports network I know has been a big issue league-wide on top of that. How do you foresee the future, uh, again, maybe of the smaller market teams or the Pacers, for example, in our ability to watch them from a TV streaming standpoint? Um. We need a longer show, but I'll, 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 we I'll can go my, as long I'll as you my, need. Best. Yeah, I'll do my best. Hopefully, without boring your listeners, um, it's a, it's a. I'll begin by saying it's a fascinating issue because, sort of, in my evolution as a fan, as a TV watcher, we went largely from a world where, you know, you know, I'm in my early 60s, where it was almost exclusively broadcast television. Then we went the early days of some cable. Then satellite came along. Then we came to a point where people largely received even broadcast television through cable or satellite. And now along comes the disruption of the Internet. And sometimes people forget. I I think back, we've been doing these technology summits for now 24 years. We we started it in San Francisco um, literally back to 24 years ago when our All-Star game was, was in Oakland and talking about the impact of technology on sports. And when you think about the Internet as a disruptor, you know, and it's disrupted so many aspects of our lives. Or just think about in the NBA, it's disrupted the ticketing business completely. You know, it used to be called scalping. There's a secondary market now. You know, there's, there's you know, adjustable pricing. There's all kinds of things we can do differently now. The Internet, we can do merchandising, e-commerce, you, you name it. But what people forget sometimes is streaming is really just Internet TV. And so streaming is inter- has disrupted the sort of traditional cable and satellite television, that, that bundle that we all had been paying a monthly amount for, in, in, in at the end of the day, potentially a very pro-consumer way. And it's pro-consumer in that before you paid a set price and you got a lot of channels that you weren't watching. It was just the nature of it. That's, that's how television was packaged. Then along comes streaming services and says, oh, you don't want all that programming. You can buy just these channels, or there's things called skinny bundles and cable. And it had a big impact on the sports business because while live sports is holding up better than any other content you know, that, that's delivered on television, and my God, just look at that Super Bowl rating they just got. Um, on, the, on the other hand, there are people who are paying for regional sports networks paying for ESPN or TNT that weren't watching it. So that it, it connects also to the 65 game rule, because what I've said to the players in the old days, 
people just paid for cable and we were paid regardless of people whether with people were watching it these days when your 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 television is streamed you don't have to call your cable company and have them roll a truck to connect you or you know or disconnect you it's just click and you've decided that, you, that you're no longer going to receive that service so we constantly have to be putting our best foot forward now i i would say there's a lot of positive that comes from this transition as well one we can produce games using internet protocol in ways nobody ever thought possible personalizing the games customizing the games giving people feeds following particular players getting audio commentary that is personalized to you there's all kinds of wonderful things that will come from these changes but what we're seeing is enormous amount of disruption i i, I think ultimately the, the fans will win because in the old days, not so old days, if the Pacers game was on at 7 o'clock and you were you know, at work or you were somewhere else or you were at a restaurant, you had to run home to get to the game. Now it's as simple and, and, and it's taking out your phone and saying, I can watch the game wherever I am. And it's amazing the clarity. We all remember when Internet you know, streaming would buffer and it was terrible to watch and impossible to connect. It's crystal clear and beautiful now. And so we just got to work through this transition work and, and you're seeing it in the marketplace, this, this enormous disruption to companies like Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery, but all these new entrants, you know, Amazon is heavily in the sports business, uh, YouTube with an NFL, YouTube TV with an NFL package, you know, Apple has an MLS package. So that's positive. I think more technology. And at the end of the day, I'm a huge believer in the marketplace in innovation. So Content, great content will win at the end of the day, but we just got to work through this transition, keeping consumers, fans front and center and make sure there's convenient and easy ways to watch the games. Again, he is Adam Silver, Commissioner of the NBA, with us here. Commissioner, last one from me. I know there's been a lot of talk about expansion for your league and that being on on the horizon. Do you view the Pacers as a long-term tenant here in Indianapolis moving forward even after Herb uh, Simon? Yeah, I don't even... You know, I don't even want to suggest in answering the question that I even think of them as a tenant with a term. I mean, the, the Pacers are Indiana's team or Indianapolis team. By the way, you know, shout out to my friend Herb Simon, who, you know, I'm never going to say is the oldest. He's the longest standing owner in the NBA at, at, you know, over 41 years of being the owner of this team. He's been the chairman of our board. He's been involved in every committee. His son Steve is involved as well as the rest of his family. He has a partner in Steve Rails, um, who's also completely committed to uh, Indianapolis and Indiana. As I said, there's a wonderful um, uh, partnership with local and state government here. This team is absolutely going nowhere. And, and also, as I said before, I mean, this is the heartland of basketball. This city punches so far above its weight when it comes to basketball and the NBA. Commissioner, we can't thank you enough. We know you are a busy, busy man and juggling some schedules with the weather earlier this week. So thanks for making time for us. Enjoy Indy. And thank you for helping to uh, bring this great event to our city. Yeah, thank you guys, and thanks for accommodating me and finding another spot for me this morning. Of course, that is the commissioner of the National Basketball Association, Adam Silver, right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Uh, We've about 15 seconds left, sorry. Thank you to the <laughs> commissioner for that. The I, know, I was like, are we up against it? 10 seconds, wrap it up. Bob. That'll be on the podcast tonight. We're at the Vogue. Tomorrow we're at the Convention Center. It's All-Star Weekend. We cannot wait. Kevin Bowen, Andy Sweeney, Mark Dykton, signing off. It's the best of the best from today's broadcast lineup. Instant replay continues in a moment on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is Instant Replay. Previously on Query and Company. Joining us now on the program, he was the second overall selection in the 1988 NBA draft. We will not tell him about the fact that going into that draft, I think it was Mookie Blaylock that I was hoping for, but all turned out well because by 1998, he was an all-star center for the Indiana Pacers and one of the most popular players in franchise history. Rick Smits joins us on the program. Rick, how are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be uh, talking to you guys. All right, let's begin with this. You are currently, and I know that you kind of split time. I knew you were living in Indianapolis for a while and then moved to Arizona. So I'm assuming that Arizona is where you are and then you will be here for the All-Star Weekend, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, spent the, uh, the winter in Arizona and uh, I'll be flying out there uh, tomorrow evening. Spent some good time in Indiana. Okay, so let's go back to, before we kind of look back at your career and just the fun and how much you you keep track of the Pacers today, you know, being an all-star, I mean, this being all-star weekend and being in Indianapolis, when you were an all-star and you were playing in the all-star game, what memories do you have of it, or was it kind of a whirlwind altogether? Yeah, it pretty much was. Uh, I definitely wasn't expecting to be an all-star that year, but uh, you know, the coaches picked me, so that was uh, you know it was a nice honor, of course. But yeah, it was it was a whirlwind uh, weekend for sure. But uh, looking back, man, uh, I'm glad I got to be a part of it. Uh, it was a heck of an experience, and uh, man, we, you know we had a heck of a team back then too. Uh, not only the Pacers, but uh, the all-star team was was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Definitely a good memory that I'll never forget. You know, I think that we, Rick, think so much about, you know, as fans, right? Like the Pacers-Knicks rivalry, the Pacers-Bulls rivalry, obviously, in 98. But then in an all-star game like that, you kind of get a chance to intermix and talk to other guys. You know, did it kind of take away – I'm not going to say take away from the rivalry a little bit, but, like, did you enjoy the camaraderie that came with being with guys that you otherwise were wanting to beat whenever you played them? Yeah, I did. You know, everybody uh, seemed to just let things go uh, for that weekend. Uh, I don't recall there was any Knicks on the team. I don't believe there were, which was probably good. But, uh, you know, know, Jordan was on the team. You know, he was was really cool. Uh, All the other guys were really cool. You know, everybody was just glad to be there, and everybody's there to have a good time. Rick, I realize it's probably impossible to encapsulate a favorite play from your career, but when I found out we were having, your on, having you on, I was only three when you were an all-star, but I've re-watched the clip countless times. Jordan finds you running down the lane. You go behind the back to Jason Williams, and he throws it down. That has to be, at least in terms of all-star game in your career, probably one of the more exciting like connections and plays to have. Is that up there for you on your list of oh, plays in your career? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's one of the plays everybody remembers me by, uh, you know, along with the uh, the game winner against Orlando. Uh, those are probably the two, you know, my two best plays, most memorable plays that I've had. What did it mean to be an all-star with Reggie Miller? 
Oh, that was great. Yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I, along with the coaching staff, you know, Larry Bird, Dick Carter, uh, Carla was there. You know, it was just a great experience. Uh, but Reggie, you know, he had done it a bunch of times. So, I, you know, I asked him about it beforehand, you know, what to expect and all that. So, uh, I was nervous. You know, I'm not a uh, – I'm kind of a shy guy, laid back. So, I didn't know what to expect, you know, all this hype and stuff. But, uh, you know, Reggie uh, made me feel good about things that were uh, ahead of me. And uh, and he uh, he definitely helped me out. Rick, I want to go back to because you made mention of it there. Rick Smith is our guest I have always felt like one of the most underrated plays in Pacer history is the following. And I want you to tell me if this is me romanticizing or giving too much credit to a play. When you mentioned the play against the Magic, and I remember it well, Penny Hardaway hits a shot. I mean, there was there were like three game-winning shots in the span of like 45 seconds, and you ultimately end that game with that shot. I always felt like the most underappreciated aspect of that, aside from your move on Tree Rollins in hitting that shot, was a perfect inbound pass from Derek McKee. Now, have you ever actually said to Derek McKee, that was the perfect inbound pass, or were you going to hit it regardless of where the pass was? Well, Derek was a guy that, that did a lot of things that uh, you know people might not have noticed, and that was definitely one of the things. Uh, you know, great pass. You know, of course, he was known for his defensive abilities, and it's just a lot of underappreciated stuff that he did really well. And that was definitely one of the things he did while his passing. You know, and I appreciate that he did that game. When you came into the league, Rick, you know, out of Marist, I, I think the one clip they had on draft night was the play from Coming to America of you dunking, right? So you're out of yeah. a small school. You're the number two pick in the draft. And then you, you have to play early because Steve Stepanovich gets hurt and, you, and you're forced in as a rookie. And you make all rookie first year. But how far into your career was it before you felt like the NBA game really was coming naturally to you as opposed to having to kind of think your way through plays, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it definitely took me a while to get adjusted. You know, from coming from a small school, or you, you know, when you play a team, you might see one good player on the team. To now being in the NBA where there's five good players, I mean, there's a good player at every position. Yeah, and that, that that took some adjusting, uh, and I probably didn't really start feeling real comfortable till Larry Brown came around. You know, he uh, he really helped us as a team, but also me individually. You know, he gave me a lot of confidence, and uh, you know that that really helped me. You know, I really appreciate uh, uh, that from him because other coaches, you know, their attitudes might have been a little different. You know, Larry definitely knew what he was doing. And it uh, it helped me out big time. Which team that you were on did you, Rick Smits, feel was the best? Wow, uh, I can't really remember the years. Of course, all, all, all three teams of with Larry Bird of my last three years, ninety seven through two thousand, were, were pretty dang good. But we've had some real good teams of Larry Brown as well. Um, Maybe even better than those last three years, oh, but I don't remember. I don't recall which year that was. The team. Yeah. I think people here would say, and you tell me if this if if this jives with what like you would retroactively think that '98 team that went seven games against the Bulls, and then Scottie Pippen was allowed to commit 64 finals, uh, 64 fouls in Game Seven of that of that game. But but to me, that '98 team against Jordan's Bulls, which was probably the best Bulls team as well, that to me was the best of the Pacers era of the '90s. 
Yeah, well, was that the year that we beat the Bulls in the regular season like three or four times or something? Correct. As a matter of fact, I think yeah. the Bulls team that won 72 games in 96 or 7, you guys split with. Yeah, so okay. you know that group obviously with Jordan's Bulls was right there with them. But Pacers-Knicks was pretty special too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as I said, there was there were several years, and I don't mix, exactly remember what what years they were, but that we uh, that I felt we you know we should have won a championship, we should have gone a little further than we did. Which but, player, uh, Rick Smith, that you played against gave you most fits? What what player, when you look back on your career, the center that you remember being, I guess, getting the most challenge from would have been who? Uh, I always struggled to get the Kim Olajuwon. And in, in my in my earlier years, he was just so agile, so quick, and you know he wasn't as big as me. He was he was almost like a you know forward. Uh, yeah, he just uh, man, he he got me every time. You know, he, he was just too fast for me to handle. In the later years, we actually put Dale Davis or Antonio Davis on him, you know, and I would guard their four guy. But uh, early on, I uh, you know when I had to guard him, I really struggled again. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Pacers legend Rick Smith is our guest. Rick, as Pacers know, you're the dunking Dutchman for a reason. Is there a favorite poster or dunk that you had in your career that stands out among the rest? Anytime I dunked on Patrick Ewing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's true. Every Pacer fan would say that, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's really not, uh, not one that stands out. But, uh, no, I, I really enjoyed uh, against the Knicks, against Ewing. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. So. Rick Smith is our guest. Rick, how old were you when you really first started competitively playing basketball? Uh, I believe I was 14. And started at a club, club team level. You know, over there in the Netherlands, we, we don't play basketball at school. It's all, you know, private clubs. And I started at 14. Now, the your home city, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm, I'm probably going to say it wrong, Eindhoven, did I say that correct? Yeah, that's good. Okay. So you grow up there and you start playing basketball. What was the opportunity that led you to Marist? Did you have multiple offers or was there like a Dutch connection that led you to Marist? I did not. I I had a buddy that came back and played at a junior college somewhere. And he was telling me how great it was in the United States, how much fun it was. So I started looking around, doing some research, and I I got a hold of a few junior colleges. I got an offer from a junior college to come play in, in Wharton, Texas. And then at the same time, I, I just made the Dutch national team, the, the junior national team, and we played against Hofstra University, uh, which was Division One school, and I did really well. I told myself, man, I can compete at the Division One level. You know, why should I go to a junior college? So I kind of kept looking a little further. And right along that time, there was a, a coach that uh, just, just got the job at Marist. He was looking in Europe for players to recruit. And somebody heard about that and told me about it. 
And this coach was coming to a game in a town uh, about 30, 35 miles from me. So I said, all right, let me see. I'll go to that game too. Maybe I can introduce myself to that coach. And I did. And he, he saw me and pretty much offered me a scholarship without ever seeing me play. And that was the coach at Marist at the time. So that's how I ended up at Marist. Now, when you were playing, Rick Smith's our guest, when the Pacers and Knicks were going through their thing, I was in college. I was interning in New York City for those Pacers-Knicks playoffs games in 94. And my the guy that I interned for, I was an intern at MTV Networks, and the guy that I interned for, his name was Rick Hankey. He was a producer there. And, yeah, I know, Rick. Yeah, and he said, oh, yeah, Rick Smits, was, uh, he lived on my dorm floor freshman year, and we taught him English by giving him a bunch of R-rated movies, and then he could only swear in English. Now, is that true? <laughs> well, that's, that's definitely not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Rick Hankey will tell you. No, that's not true. <laughs> but I know, I know Rick pretty good. He, uh, he, him and his, uh, my roommate was good friends with Rick. They were both on the, on the track team. So Rick was always over. But, he, yeah, he's a good guy. But that definitely wasn't true. <laughs> so, Rick, take me through the process of when, you know, Donnie Walsh is sitting with the second pick in the 88 draft. And, you know, Danny Manning was kind of the prize of that draft. And, and at number two, quite frankly, probably because of the fact that you're out of a small school in Marist, there was surprise that you went second overall. When did you know that you were going to be in the mix for Indiana? And what was the process of getting to know Donnie and just getting to know what the expectation was going to be for you? Well, uh, obviously I've met Donnie before the draft. I I visited, uh, I think, with three or four teams. I visited the Clippers, Philadelphia, and the Pacers. Uh, so I got to know Donnie pretty good beforehand, and he, uh, from what I recall, he pretty much promised me if you know, if I was available at the second pick, which you know most likely I was going to be, he would pick me. So even though he he had said that, I still had my doubts because, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm not a very, I was a shy, not so confident guy. So I was like, oh, there's no way they're going to pick me second. But uh, fortunately, they did, and I'm glad they did. Uh, yeah, and after that. Uh, you know, Donnie was always there for us, training camp, early in the season, and, uh, you know, things went well from there on. Rick, do you still follow college basketball as it stands? The reason I ask is I had a question for you about Zach Eady over at Purdue. Yeah. He's... Yeah, I've seen Purdue play a couple times. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't follow it. I don't watch games every day, but every now and then I'll uh, turn on TV and watch, watch some college ball. Well, even though he hit a three-pointer for the first time in his career the other day against Indiana, he is viewed as an old-school style big, kind of like you were. When you look at today's NBA, how much work do big men like yourself need to put in if they don't have the ability to play outside? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've, they've got to be uh, uh, you know, they got to be high proficient, you know, high proficient scorer down low, uh, you know, compared to these guys these days that, that are just all over the court. You know, you really got to be amazing from just down low if that's if that's your game. You know. You know, when I look at Rick, your game, there's part of me that thinks to myself at seven foot four that you actually probably, if you look at centers of your era, Rick Smith. I mean, yourself, Patrick Ewing, you know, Elijah Wan's special because of the footwork, right? But, but you know, Tree Rollins is another name that I'll throw in there. 
I feel like you would have had the best chance of those guys to play in today's era because you did have step back and unique passing ability, but also, you know, touch from 15 feet that, that, that was rare back then. Do you feel like your game would have translated to 2024? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always think that. Uh, you know, I I never practiced my three pointers back then. You know, I just shot as you said the fifteen footer, which kind of came natural. But you know, hey, if I was allowed to shoot a three pointer, I would have been practicing three pointers. And you know, and who's to say I wouldn't have had a high percentage? I'm, I'm pretty sure I could have. That's a good point, and, that, and a lot of people bring that up. And uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a compliment to hear that when they when they say that. My youth fit right in in today's centers. And I think they're right. Pacers great. Rick Smith is our guest. Rick, is the motorcycle collection still going strong? Oh, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 100 plus, so uh, <laughs> it's, it's going strong. Now, that, that goes from collection to, uh, like, obsession, right, when, you, when you're talking 100 plus. <laughs> yeah, you could call it that. But when did that yeah, begin? You, a- you've always been kind of a gearhead, right? Yes, yeah, I got my first uh, little 50cc motorcycle when I was seven years old, so way before I started playing basketball. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's always been a hobby. It's always something I enjoyed, and it's it's uh, still something I'm doing today. Did the Pacers have any sort of stipulation or restriction on you, like riding around on dirt bikes in the off season when you were playing, <laughs> or did you just not tell them about it? Well, uh, yeah, every uh, every contract back then had a uh, stipulation where you couldn't have any fun outside of basketball. <laughs> yeah. No, no skydiving, uh, no dirt biking, no car racing, n- none of that. So, of course, I did still every once in a while. Secretly, the uh, secretly did it, but uh, <laughs> it was kind of hard to hide. I, I remember. Early on, I had some property in Zionsville. I bought forty-five acres, and I was riding my dirt bike around on it. And the next day, Donnie Walls calls me in and says, hey, Rick, what is this I hear about you riding your dirt bike? How the heck does he know? <laughs> so it turned out that one of my neighbors was good friends with uh, the Simons. <laughs> they saw me on a dirt bike and they called the Simons. And uh, so hey, you won't believe what Rick Smith is doing here on this property. Maybe they thought it was just some other seven foot four guy that lived in Boone County, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty yeah. obvious, right? It's the best of the best from today's broadcast lineup. Instant replay continues in a moment on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is Instant Replay. Earlier this afternoon on The Ride with JMV. Time on the Andy Moore Automotive Group byline, 17-year NBA vet. NBA Today, that's weekdays 4 until 7, Sirius XM, NBA Radio. You can find him there. You can find him, I'm assuming, here in town because back in the 90s, spent a couple of seasons here. We're talking about Eddie Johnson, who joins us now. Hello, Eddie. How are you? 
I'm well. And yourself? I love talking about you, and I love talking about guys that I grew up really loving. And you, for being a shot maker anywhere on the floor. I mean, now, like, anybody makes shots everywhere. But you were like others that any spot on the floor was yours. And, you know, there's always been this whole microwave mentality. He's going to come in, and he can put, you know, immediate points on the board. You've always been to me part of that group and even with the evolution of the NBA you look back to the era in which you played you have to look at that especially as I do as well yeah I mean thank thank you for the compliment but yeah I mean obviously it's just a, the era I, I grew up in man I, I, but obviously I grew up in an era where you know you had to be able to shoot the ball in all spots on the floor uh, and today's game is a little bit different you know, you got guys that just shoot threes. You got guys that just post up. A little bit one-dimensional at that. Uh, analytics tries to put them in the spots where they can do damage. And I would have gotten a headache if I had to deal with all that stuff. Uh, they just give <laughs> well, me the ball, man, and yes. I score. Like, I, exactly. you know, wherever I am. I mean, if I'm 15 feet, if I'm 22 feet, just give it to me on either side, I'll score. And that was our mentality <clears throat> as basketball players and uh so it's a little bit different in today's game. So Eddie Johnson with us from NBA and Sirius Radio. It's a former NBA or on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You know, the other thing that sticks out to me is now, really on all levels, I mean, you are put in a category where you also have to get the ball to anywhere you want on the floor, too. It's not so much the passing game, the crisp passing it is, for somebody off the dribble to be able to get to any place on the floor as well. That's another change that we have seen. It kind of goes from great team-wise passing to just somebody dribbling to get to that spot on the floor for them or a teammate. That's also how it's changed. Yeah, and it's a change, obviously, I don't like uh, because I, I just truly believe that you can get to your spot and then when you get there, the ball gets to you and you don't have to do anything but shoot. And in today's game, you're correct. I mean, guys are more wanting to get to that spot on their own instead of off the ball. And that's why when we watch Curry play, you know, Steph Curry play, we're just like, we're amazed and we throw out so many accolades because we don't see that anymore. And when I watch Steph play, it's like, I did that all the time. You know, when Reggie Miller would see Steph do that, I did that all the time. Ray Allen, yeah. I did that all the time. I mean, Kiki Vandeweghe. I mean, tremendous guys that played off the ball did it all the time. And in today's game, I think it's a lack of trust at times where coaches don't want the ball to hit multiple hands. They'd rather keep it in the hands of that guy and let him create. And uh, at times it kind of bogs down the game. Uh, but the guys in today's game, you have to give them credit. A lot of guys that are excellent at putting that ball down and getting to their spot. It's uh, Eddie Johnson who joins us NBA All-Star Weekend, I guess officially, kind of unofficially getting underway. We're at Brothers Downtown on Meridian with Michelob Ultra and NBA Jam. I, I was talking to Chris Finch yesterday who was on the show, the Western Conference All-Star coach, the head coach at Minnesota. And I kind of jokingly, Eddie said, hey, um, do you have any plays you know, diagrammed up? You're going to go to the playbook at the beginning of the game. And I said, it'd be funny if you like called like some uh, motion flex offense out for these guys. And then they wouldn't know what the hell they were going to do because you got to run around a little bit and get a pass, and there's not a lot of dribbling. We had a laugh about that. I said, hey, maybe just go ahead and go with the high ball screen. That's where you initiate basically every offense nowadays yeah. and go with that, huh? 
Yeah, well, basically, I think based on what we've seen over the last few years, and I hope it changes this year, we've just seen guys take the ball out of bounds. Whoever got the ball out of bounds went down and shot. Uh, it's just been that kind of game. I'm hoping that, you know, the, the changes that the NBA has made uh, over the last year, especially, that these guys will put more value in the game and, and be more competitive for uh, at least 36 minutes of the game uh, instead of, like, the last five. So that's what I'm hoping for. But, yeah, it's just difficult to really put in a, a system. I think, if anything, he'll he'll design a play doing timeouts, you know, maybe put an out-of-bounds play in. But other than that, these are all-stars. These are guys that the, are the alpha dogs on their team. And so they're very smart, and they know exactly what it's going to take to get themselves a chance to win. So Eddie Johnson is with us. I, I can't remember. I know you've seen the Pacers a couple of times live this year. Uh, we talked to Frank Vogel back when you guys were in town about three weeks ago. Um, but what do you make from what you have seen? And I'm talking about, in this case, Eddie, the evolution of the Pacer star Tyrese Halliburton. He's going to start his first NBA All-Star game. A lot of accolades certainly coming his way. You know, he's that defining piece, certainly, of a growing Pacer team. What do you think about the evolution of his game to where it is right now? Yeah, you know, he's gotten a lot of accolades, and and people obviously are marveling over the way the Pacers are playing, Uh, the way Rick Carlisle has gotten these guys to buy in, to be in top shape, pushing the ball every time, whether it's a make or a miss. And that's why I think Carlisle is definitely up there at the top in regards to coach of the year, uh, based on what he's done. But Halliburton, man, look, he – He's fundamentally sound. And that's the one thing I don't hear enough of when it comes to him. Like, he's fundamentally sound, meaning that he puts himself in the right position to make the right pass. Whether he's got to take an extra dribble to the right or left, whether he gives a ball fake, all of those things that you're taught in high school. And a lot of these guys have forgotten it, but he has held on to it. And now he's using it to his advantage, and he's just embarrassing people with his fine play. You know, he's throwing up 15 assists and not getting one turn on. You know how difficult that is? Like, those are the things that I'm more impressed with than anything, past the scoring. Uh, I just think he's a tremendous young player. And just to think that Sacramento had he and De'Aaron Fox on the same team. And when you watch both of them play, you realize that, yeah, that, that was the right thing for Sacramento to do. Because one of those they, one of those guys would be holding the other back. These two guys are alpha dogs. They needed to be on their own team. And right now they're showing it. Uh, but Halliburton, man, he's, he's, he's fun to watch, man. And he's a guy to my own heart because he talks a lot of smack. And I love it. <laughs> Eddie Johnson joins us. NBA Today. That's weekdays, 4 until 7 on Sirius XM. NBA Radio. He's with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You know, you mentioned that deal with Sacramento and the Pacers. I, I mean, really, as much as Sacramento needed to unload somebody to go with one because both just wasn't going to work for them. The same thing can be said about the Pacers with Sabonis and with Turner. I mean, somebody was going to have to go. And rarely do you see these deals work out as well as this deal has worked out for both teams. Yeah, no, you're correct. You're correct. Uh, you know, I guess after you see it in hindsight, you kind of wish that, man, I wish they, I wish these two could have really coexisted together to look how good we'd be. 
But a lot of times it just does, doesn't work that way. Uh, the other guy needs his freedom. He needs the confidence to know that he's the guy. And uh, he's the guy that can lead. And that's exactly what both of them are doing. Miles Turner is playing an excellent brand of basketball. He's using his big bodies to set screens, put himself in the way. And in putting himself in the way, he's getting high percentage shots. Probably the most high percentage shots he's gotten in his career so far. And look, I understand. You know, look, when you when you're a professional man, everything is not going to go smoothly. And I know he dealt with over a few years where he was always mentioned in trade rooms, but that's okay. Just part of it. And I really, really respect his professionalism through it all. Uh, I didn't hear much chatter back from him at all. Uh, and then ultimately the Pacers rewarded him in season. And you don't see that much. You don't see a player being rewarded in season. And uh, to me, it just said a lot about his character and his leadership on that team. Thanks again for listening to Instant Replay, because second helpings are always best when the main course is still fresh. Instant Replay on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.